Liberty, you're listening to KPFA, KPFB, Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno, and kpfa.org online. Please stay tuned for Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture, drop the shadows out of sight. Yes, indeed, this is Jennifer Stone. Get your money every Friday. we got to get our money on Tuesday. Never mind. Guess what, folks? Guess what? Bill Clinton won a Grammy. A Grammy Award. No kidding. He got an award uh, for spoken word. How do you like that? Um, it's for his audio tape of his autobiography, My Life. It was so nice to see Clinton at uh, Ozzie Davis's funeral. Um, it was airing last night at midnight on Democracy Now! Amy Goodman can be found on KCSM at midnight and... Uh, she aired most of the speeches. It's nice to see sometimes on TV, you know, just to look at the faces. Clinton looked quite tragic, I must say. His hair is longer now, almost white, um, quite Shakespearean. I imagine his health is precarious. He spoke lovingly of Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee. He said that he'd asked himself once, why it was that the two of them always gave him such a lift or made him feel, you know, as if he should stand up straighter and uh, have a little uh, uh, integrity, made him feel so good. Uh, then he said he realized that the reason was it was because they were free. Now, um, that's kind of hard for some people to to understand, but as I watched Clinton, I realized that he was envying them their freedom, their personal, psychological freedom. Theater people are always the most liberated people on earth. It is true. It's not just talent. Uh, Bill Clinton has talent to burn. I mean, you compare him with George W. Bush, a speaker who should be committed to an asylum for rhetorical diseases. And you see how brilliant is Bill Clinton, a really clever fellow. And yet, and yet, and yet, his spirit is not free for a lot of reasons. Um, not free to become himself in the way that Ozzie Davis and Ruby Dee have done. All the world's a stage and only the actors, only real actors <laughs> can play all the parts, and still remain themselves, contain themselves, go beyond themselves. Uh, I was thinking last night of Ozzie Davis 
when he played the cruel father in Spike Lee's film Jungle Fever. Uh, the reverend, they called him, destroys his own son with the Bible and the gun. And then I remember him as that neighborhood drunk in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, where Ozzy Davis played a, a, a derelict, you know. Uh, but he's nevertheless a prophet, a moralist, a heroic humanitarian. Uh, it's strange how an actor can be bigger than any role he plays. In both those films, Ruby Dee did the same thing. Um, she's his perfect foil. And when she played the reverend's wife, she was pitiful, trying to save her son from his father's wrath, uh, frightened to death of both of them. Then she plays mother-sister in Do the Right Thing, giving Ozzie Davis hell until he shapes up and becomes a hero and lover. She, too, uh, transcends any role she plays. Uh, in any case, today I've got a job to do. I've wasted five minutes already running my mouth here. Where else but on KPFA could I get away with it? Um, we're still in our fun drive. And so, I brought here for a premium a book of my own together with four CDs. The CDs are readings from the book. So you have it in print and then you have the auditory version. Yes, <laughs> I think I'll, I'll send it in for an award, spoken word award. I haven't heard Bill Clinton's audio tape, but uh, that seems to be the coming thing. We have to listen to these guys as well as read their words. Anyway, my book is an oldie but goodie. It was written when I was uh, quite a bit younger, when I thought there was time, time to dwell on, oh, even on the past, to dig into my own childhood and dredge up a lot of stuff. And you know uh, how it is. It's very fashionable these days to rerun the past and find out who we are by uh, becoming sort of psychological archivists. We look for ways to turn the grief or the wounds and the confusions into myth and meaning, synthesize the damn thing. Someone said to me recently, they said, oh, you think you're a novel. I said, well, of course, what else? At some point I slipped into surrealism and... Uh, uh, one of these stories is symbolism gone over the top. I remember it upset one of my professors. I was getting a master's in creative writing sometime in the 70s. And the professor suggested that I let go of psychiatric subtleties and just tell stories. He was upset about a story called The Walrus Bird. It's all about a sea creature, obviously an archetype of the female oh. This sea creature is washed up, lying on a beach, rotting away. <laughs> I still like it. I think it's a terrific story. It takes place down in Laguna Beach, but I don't specify that. Anyway, my little book is titled Over by the Caves. It's autobiographical fiction. And I suddenly like it now, a quarter of a century after I wrote it. Uh, I see... The flaws, I think, uh, but I finally learned that there's some things that can't be rewritten. We all know that. Yes, the moving finger writes and having writ moves on and all that blathers. I was trying, I was making an effort 
to see, perceive things through the eyes of a child, but then to comment on uh, the situation, you know, imagine how a child might interpret or perceive her experiences. Um, it's kind of, you know, a laser beam, the way a child sees things a child. I remember one of my favorites, uh, it isn't, sometimes it was just the words. I remember thinking that the axis, you know, as axis of evil, I thought those were axes with which to chop people's heads off, you know. But it isn't just the words, it's mostly the weight that children give things. Uh, they are, of course, completely self-centered. Uh, the story that I want to read you today is called uh, Pepper Trees. Uh, I don't know, what, should I say in honor of Black History Month, because it's about a black woman who helped raise me back in Tucson, Arizona in the 1930s. I don't like this categorical thinking, um, but uh, I suppose it's as good an excuse as any. Um, I'm certain we're going to do Women's History Month next month. So, in any case, this story is about uh, Josie, and we're back way back in the 1930s, uh, and the title of the piece is Pepper Trees. There's an epigraph at the top from W.E.B. Du Bois' book, The Souls of Black Folk, one of my absolute most favorite books. It's one of those books, you know, you know, the handful of books that you keep right behind your bed on a shelf, um, The Souls of Black Folk by Du Bois. The line reads, Who shall measure progress there? where the dark-faced Josie lies. And the story begins, The smell and the shade of the pepper trees is the first thing to remember. The wide shade and the dry days and the Spanish tile and the heavy awnings of the hacienda of my mother and my father. Brown Mexicans in white shirts make brown adobe brick walls and wash, wash them white. The bricks are made of mud and straw packed in wooden frames. From under the walls come horned toads to keep in shoeboxes. Round reptiles with sandpaper soft bellies and loose chins and eyes without water. Their foreheads are crowned with thorns. They can spit blood from between their eyes. Their eyes are the oldest I have ever seen. They have prehistoric perception. They know who I am. I take them on a shoestring leash to eat the ants on the anthills near the pepper trees. Once I left one tied there near the anthill all night. In the morning she was eaten because she got a reptile chill during the night and being cold-blooded couldn't move much, so the ants ate her. I kept her babies in a jar. There were two of them. They were less than an inch long. They were so very delicate. My friend Nathaniel and I are almost ready to go to school. I already have 
a place I go to. It's a place with bars and sand and finger paints. They play drop the handkerchief and some other circle games. But teacher said that what I did was not the way to do it, so I didn't. Nathaniel and I kill other things besides those horny toads. We killed some unborn birds with a pipe and some kittens just born because we can't keep them. Then we killed some rats, the wrong white rats, some two fat white rats, and smashed them, and Nathaniel smashed them, but I helped. Once he frayed the ends of some electric wiring, plugged the plug in the wall, and tried to electrocute those rats, but they wouldn't die. None of the grown-ups talk until the sun goes down. Then they all pour drinks. And Nathaniel's mother says she's damn glad she was born, that he was born in Boston, and not in this desert. My mother says, well, anyway, I was conceived in Michigan, so I am not really a Westerner either. My father is in Arizona because sick people come to his clinic with arthritis and asthma and tuberculosis, and all the sickness people bring to a dry place. After it gets dark, everyone talks, and drinks, and sits in canvas hammocks or porch swings. We put on the lights over the tennis court. I give plays on the tennis court under the lights, and Nathaniel is in the tiger cage in the tiger costume, roaring and screaming and knocking the cage over, breaking it. It's the best packing crate cage I have for my stage. Well, he ruins my play, and my mother says, "What a hell of a hullabaloo we are always making!" But uh, we might just as well have fun, because after all, we're just kids. Always there is a pageant of me. They bring me costumes of Mexico with sequin snakes and embroidered blouses. I ride a burro. I am all done up in black and silver for the rodeo parade. I am Queen Elizabeth in a farthingale. I am mustard seed. I am orphan Annie. There are great many many days, and a great many plays. Our colored maid lives in the garage. She goes home to her husband, Big Sam, on weekends. Her name is Josie. My mother says. Josie takes some cosmetics and other things from my mother's dressing table, but after all, well, who can blame her in her circumstances? My mother also says, Josie can't have any babies. My father, who fixes everything, takes Josie to his clinic for some minor surgery. He says, and she has all kinds of babies after that. She puts her little Sam. In the wash tub, in the middle of the kitchen floor, with my blonde baby brother, and then there is salt and pepper laughter from the grown-ups. Oh, how cute they say! Just like my Topsy and Eva doll, which has two heads, and you just shake the skirt either way, and you can make a pickaninny or a princess. Whenever my father builds a new room on our house, 
Everyone has to put a footprint in the floor. Josie doesn't want to put her foot in the wet cement of the foundation of my father's house, so he has to chase her round and round the yard to catch her, and all the Indians and the Mexican workers watch the Irishman with the blue black hair and the ice blue eyes, chasing the tall black woman, carrying her squealing and kicking to put her foot in the wet cement. Ah,、oh, he says, black people are like cats; they hate anything wet because they have. Heavy bones and lots of calcium in their bones, so they sink in the water. So they hate it. Josie put her foot in the wet cement with her nylon stocking on. Then she went back to her room in the garage. One time, I had a circus in the laundry room. Left all sorts of animals there. I left a puppy in a wash tub all night with the tub boarded over. Josie found that mess in the morning. In that time. She lost her temper with me. I was a little afraid because, after all, she wasn't my mother. She shouldn't get mad at me that way. Then there's a dream about tigers coming and coming to get me. So my father takes his twelve-gauge shotgun and shoots them through my bedroom window. In the morning, he takes me out on the desert and shows me where he buried them. I visit their graves sometimes. My father hunts ducks and doves and deer and takes me with him. I get to pull the heads off the birds after he shoots them. That way they die quick. Then I put them in the pack on his back. I always get lots of blood all over my yellow shirt, so my mother will be upset when I come home. Once a rattlesnake bit me. My father shot its head off and cut open my leg to get the poison out. I screamed and screamed and I kept the snakeskin. I hung it on my bedroom wall with its rattles preserved forever. I made the vertebrae into bracelets. One winter, my father wants a swing that swings over the house. He has to dynamite the ground to make the post holes deep enough. It's a Tarzan swing. Everyone has to try it. That same year. He has to take my tonsils out himself because the best doctor in Tucson couldn't do it right. He paints the rumpled seat in the car blue for me, calls everything by my name, and paints it blue. He let me ride on the running board when my mother didn't see. He builds a handball court, but it's too late because that school has started, and I'm trying to be a girl. That is not his fault, of course. There was a time in 1939, my mother's lover came to stay with us. He got away. I never found him. One night, it was the Fourth of July. My father set off rockets and pinwheels and Roman candles all evening. I watched and watched and let my little brother hold my sparkler. I told my little brother the story of. A little match girl, but he did not listen. I stayed up past midnight. I had to be carried to bed. My eyes were burning with the lights of all those fireworks. And when I got into bed, I saw a great bonfire on the lawn outside my window. I looked for the grandmother, the grandmother of the little match girl, but there was my father. My father. And Big Sam, and my mother's lover, 
and my brother and Nathaniel, with all the other men, they were having a tug of war with a long and twisted rope. First one man fell down, and then another fell down, until finally, at last, Big Sam won. He said he had to win, because there were just too many babies at his house, and always more and more, and he could not stand it any more. So they all went to the garage. They told Josie to give back those cosmetics and the perfume to my mother because it was her turn, Josie's turn, not my mother's turn, not yet. Then they made a rope swing for Josie in the biggest pepper tree, and she hung there alone. The wooden beams in the ceiling of our house are all on fire, burning like logs in the fireplace. Just before that moment, they collapse into ashes. My mother and Nathaniel's mother just sit there. They just talk and talk and smoke their cigarettes. I beg them to come out of the house and get Josie down from the biggest pepper tree, because that is the tree that is near the ant hill, and she will get a chill before morning. I tell them she is hanging there. Hanging from the ropes of the fathers, my mother is laughing, hushing me, saying, "Oh yes, she will come and see. She will come outside and watch my play. Just as soon as she finishes her drink." That's the end of Pepper's Trees, a story in my collection over by the caves. And now I have to ask everybody to pledge to KPFA and get a copy of that uh, story collection. I don't see any lights lit, so I'm going to give you the phone number here, which is 1-800-HEY-KPFA. That's 1-800-H-E-Y-K-P-F-A. And if you live locally... In the five and dime area code, you can just call 510-848-KPFA. Now, I have tons and tons more material today, but I really don't have time for it because I have to keep asking you for money. I wanted to give you a long spiel on Arthur Miller, and I wanted to talk about the documentary, the PBS documentary on Alfred Kinsey. Let me refer you to a more recent、uh, sex book called *The Height Report* by Sherry Height. Women and sex. I want to talk about that soon.、Uh, if you've seen the movie *Kinsey*, run out and see that documentary because it tells you a lot of things that the movie kind of glosses over. You know. Hi,、yeah. Jennifer. This is Amelia. Hi, darling. Come and help me. We got to give out the phone numbers. That's right. I I know that you mentioned them before, but let me remind folks that they could call in here at one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two, and pledge your support for the programs that you hear here in this slot, cover to cover with Jennifer Stone, Mind Over Media, and、um, Jennifer Stone being a tremendous gift that we have here, a, a jewel of soul. 
reports that uh, that comes to you on a weekly basis here. And we need you to call in your pledge of support for KPFA for Cover to Cover in order to continue to bring you these uh, luminaries such as Jennifer Stone. The number to call, once again, is one 800 Four three nine five seven three two, or if you're in the five ten area code, it's eight four eight five seven three two. We have a caller. Thank you so much for going to the phone and calling one eight hundred four three nine five seven three two. And as Jennifer mentioned, you get as a thank you gift, you get over by the caves, which is a nice collection of stories. As you heard her reading, uh, Pepper Tree from from this collection, and also CDs of the. Readings, Jennifer, is that right? There's four CDs, and uh, I think, yeah, except for some little passages, there. Um, I call this a hopscotch novel. It's the kind of thing where there's a little token or uh, a kind of a hook that goes from one story into the next. But uh, I've anthologized them uh, a lot of places. The most recent one, there's a book out called um, uh, "Kiss Me Goodnight." It just came out, and it's. It uses one of the short stories called Electra's Curse. It's about the the death of my mother, and apparently that's a theme. Uh, I didn't know that only 5% of the population loses a parent in childhood. Did you know that? I, I thought we were everywhere, but that one came out in a new anthology. But as I said, there there it's a strange way to, to put together fiction. I like the idea you know, of connected stories, but stories you can use uh, one at a time. And, yeah, most of them are on about, I think about half the book is on the CDs total. Great. And that is yours for the asking with your $60 year pledge here at KPFA. That's if you call 1-800-439-5732 or again 510-848-5732 or you can go to the web at kpfa.org. And that's really nice because you get to make your selections there uh, and uh, do it do it at your leisure. But we do need you to go to the phones. We do need you to show your support for KPFA and programs like Cover to Cover, like Free Speech Radio News, like Hard Knock Radio coming up at 4 o'clock. But uh, every so often we have to come and take care of business. You pay for our light bill. You pay for our phone bill, which is very high when we're calling all these different places to bring you the interviews that we do. You pay for our salaries, quite honestly. So we can't do it without you. This is uh, interdependent relationship that we have going and you need to you know, do your part this time and hopefully we're doing ours. I know Jennifer uh, brings you her weekly commentaries in a, in a very, very dedicated loving way and so we need to help her in providing the electricity for this show to go on. 848-5732 or one 800 Four three nine five seven three two. We only have three minutes left, and I'd really like to see some lights. Just uh, another light little light, folks, please. Uh, I was saying, uh, I ran into Bill Mandel the other day, and he, he said, "How long have you been on on KPFA, Jennifer?" And I said, "21 years, boys, is a mighty long time." You remember that song? And then I thought, "No, it's 22. I think it's 22 or 20 years." No, you've got to call in and give she us said, one yeah. more subscription, folks. At 1-800-HEY-KPFA, H-E-Y-KPFA, and then in the five and dime area code 510-848-KPFA. 
Hey, That's I think right. we're we have getting our up. caller there. We have two callers. Thank you so much for going to the phones. Thanks. Feel free to keep calling in as as Hard Knock Radio starts. I think we only have a minute left. So thank you so much for showing your support, Cover to Cover, and Jennifer Stone. And catch Shirley Chisholm in Unbossed and Unbought. If you haven't seen it yet, it's on PBS. It's the most marvelous documentary. It'll cheer you up. Till next week, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the Divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Will Rock, the first theatrical production ever shut down by our federal government. Now it's time to celebrate the centenary of its composer and lyricist, Mark Blitzstein. It's all part of Other Minds 11, San Francisco's annual festival of maverick composers at the Yerba Buena Center for the Arts, Saturday, February 26th. At 11 a.m., you'll see the feature film, Cradle Will Rock, by Tim Robbins, with Susan Sarandon, Emily Watson, and Bill Murray. Then at 2 p.m., it's a concert of Blitzstein's wonderful music with pianist Eric Cahill, tenor John Dykers, soprano Amy X. Newberg, and biographer Eric Gordon. Visit otherminds.org. Then phone the Yerba Buena Center box office at 415-978-ARTS. That's Saturday, February 26th, and Other Minds Centenary Tribute to Artist Activist Mark Blitzstein. Co-sponsored by KPFA. NATA, the National Asian American Telecommunications Association, presents the 23rd San Francisco International Asian American Film Festival playing from March 10th through the 20th in San Francisco, Berkeley, and San Jose. As usual, the festival features the latest films from China, Japan, Hong Kong, the Philippines, and India.